everybody, how's it going? I'm Chase Jarvis. I want to welcome you to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. This show is where I sit down with the world's top creators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, and I put all of my heart and my soul into unpacking actionable and valuable insights with the goal of helping you live your dreams in career, in hobby, and in life. Woo! My guest today, you are going to love this show. I'm I think I probably say this at every show, but because it's because I curate what I think are amazing guests. My guest on this show today is Vanessa Van Edwards. Vanessa is, get this, she calls herself a behavioral investigator. And I don't, I don't actually know what that means, but I'm going to tell you what I know about Vanessa. She is incredible at unpacking the things that make people tick why people do the things that they do and she turns that into actionable techniques or whatever for people to hone those skills these are these are emotional intelligence skills people they say that emotional intelligence is the new IQ and I believe it deeply I feel like that's a, a huge area for creatives to where there's always big a big miss like are you comfortable presenting are you comfortable in your own shoes can you communicate clearly uh, body language negotiating all that stuff she's written for so many publications CNN fast company Forbes all that stuff and she is the author of a brand new book which I am pumped I have an advanced copy it is called captivate the science of succeeding with People, she is the mega authority on this badass topic. What would surprise you about Vanessa? Dot dot dot. Uh, given she is dedicated to understanding the subject, she's not always uh, the people skills don't come naturally to her. This is the thing that I think is beautiful. Is she? She self-identifies as awkward, but you would have zero. I mean, she is smooth like butter. You would have zero ideas that she is not like inside. She might be shrieking. But she is cool as a cucumber, and the fact that she's been able to teach herself to get over this is just a great reminder of how powerful the ability to learn these things. These aren't just innate. Being um, being able to be natural around others and in front of others, that is a learned skill, and Vanessa has built that and can help you. If you like what you hear in the show, I highly recommend her Creative Life classes, especially one of, it's one of the most popular, well, the most popular um, soft skill class is Mastering Your People Skills. But she's also got a kick-ass one called The Power of Negotiation. And a third one is The Power of Body Language. Um, in this episode, I'll get into a little detail here. We talk about the difference between decoding and encoding emotional signals. That's right. You know, how to apply this idea of monitoring micro-expressions so you, you can know what people are thinking by what their face is doing. If you know that, you know, I'm not even going to go on the, the RBF. Um <laughs> Look up RBF on the internet if you know what I'm talking about. But if you want to decode these micro expressions, we talk about that. And this was fascinating for me. It freaked me out a little bit. Um, we also go into a, a handful of hacks that will help you hone your people skills. One example that takes just an actual couple seconds when you see a close up of someone's face on TV, try making that same face. This face making thing will help you empathize with the feelings that that person is actually feeling. The connection between facial expression and actual feelings is real chemical thing. We talk about that, which was totally fascinating to me and was an amazing tool for empathy that I have 
Uh, learned through interviewing people, actually. Vanessa is also, as I mentioned earlier, she's a master negotiator. And she she pulls some ninja shit um, negotiating techniques. Uh, you've heard me talk about creatives need to raising their rates. And the, we go into some specific tactics about doing so. So that is the show. Without any further ado, we should get into it. But I do have one thing, and that is a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits. And today, Creative Live, as a part of the sponsor announcement, wants you to know that they have a new, very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. That would be the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free, and they let you watch all of the Creative Live classes that are on air streaming for free, anything you already own, and on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons for free, which is super, <laughs> super gnarly. To get those apps, go to the App Store, uh, iTunes, and search Creative Live, or go to creativelive.com slash apps. There you go. Now, let's get into the show. without like messing up our, yeah, we can our have, microphones. Yeah. Is my mic okay? Mic's yes, okay? and okay, make good. sure to do this Yeah, I gotta do this. It, I have to Matt keep it out. Matt was telling us, keep the hair out. You made it. Welcome. You made it. In San Francisco. I, just, I love Creative Live. I love being here. I love that you're here, and I'm loving that we're going to do what I think is maybe your first long-form interview. This is the first time I've ever done it. I remember the first time I saw you. It was on the Creative Live stage, and... It was, they said, we got this great woman, she's coming in, her business is booming, she's got this new, the, she's taking a, an emotional intelligence approach to the future, and I mean, I, I've seen so many creative life classes, I just watched with my mouth open and my head tilted like, like <laughs> this is amazing. It was so eye-opening, and then we followed up in Portland, Yeah. I had the good fortune of hanging out with you and your hubby on your deck. Yes. Um, but... The, the primary reason I wanted you on this show, I kind of I kind of leaned into it just a second ago there, which is you more than anybody I know are tuned in to a subtle cues and gestures specifically around emotional intelligence. I think yeah. our culture has been very focused on IQ yes. for for decades or centuries or millennia. Yeah. And not millennia probably because that was like uh, caveman time. Yeah. Well, millennia. There you go. Yeah, millennia. Yeah. Um, look at us talking about Paleolithic period. There's a <laughs> yeah. no, but you were you crystallized in such a way that I hadn't seen before in a popular culture, digestible way, talking about hey, how to how to move through the world, like literally, figuratively, how to be supportive and show support, and yeah. and it's the EQ is the new IQ. What's interesting is I think that my my comfort zone is actually the book smarts. So, which so I know that sounds crazy because uh, I, I teach people smarts. Yeah. 
but when I was growing up, books were like my savior, right? Like mm-hmm. I would, I remember this, Mrs. Kane, I don't know if you're out there, in fourth grade, every time the recess bell would ring and I would go over to her and I would like wait for the entire classroom to clear out and I would beg her to clean the chalkboards. That time we had chalkboards, wow. the whiteboards, because the playground was, was terrifying to me. Um, and she would always be like, oh, Vanessa, you have to go outside and play. You have she's to. She's like thinking about her own mental health. <laughs> she's like, like, now that I'm old, I'm like, oh, no. Like, she probably, like, wanted to get a smoke. Like, right? like Mrs. Gay, I don't know. She was like a sweet old lady. And so I would, like, beg to clean the chalkboards because that was so scary to me. We were like, do homework during class. Yeah. And so in a weird way, I've come to learn that people smarts are not only more important in some ways than book smarts, yeah. but actually they saved me. In a different uh, kind of a way. This is, it goes back that deep. Oh, that far. oh, for sure. I have this theory, and you okay. can tell me if you're wrong. All right. I think everyone chooses their career, and I do mean career, not job. So people okay. who are in their careers, so they're yep. choosing it for some kind of emotional reason. There, there's something inside them they have to fix, and I think that that has to do. I don't mean to dump so deep so quickly. No, I, this, this is what we're doing. Okay, this okay. is the goal. So when I meet someone. I want to know one basic thing. There's a lot of little things, but one basic thing, which is, what is their self-narrative? And Mm. I think that people choose their careers, choose their spouses, choose where they want to live, because they're trying to fix something in their self-narrative. For me, 100%, I remember I was, I think it was reading um, The Hero's Journey, like about The Hero's Journey, and it, it clicked and I was like, I am trying to fix that moment before recess. I'm trying to fix that. Oh my gosh, that's so smart. I'm just, I'm applying your rule to myself right now. What are I'm you, like, what are you trying don't to do fix? that jujitsu stuff what, on me I on just my want, own I'm not, I'm just, I'm just curious. <laughs> I'm going to block your shot. No, I'm just Nothing curious. Nothing to no, see but, here. <laughs> but really, okay, like, what, like, you talk a lot about education, right? Mm-hmm. So like, what are you trying to fix? Is it something for you? Is there something you, you saw? Um, I was, so... I'm gonna take that. I'm not because it's less about education, uh-huh. and I think more about connecting bridges. I, I there's yeah. no question. I enjoy being in front of people. I get energy from yeah. that. I'm extroverted. Yeah. And I think it was probably around something around achievement. Like mm-hmm. I know that my my parents were amazing. I'm an only child, mm-hmm. and for. That, that cuts both ways and not in the spoiled way I had upside down Nikes I had Adidas with four stripes middle lower what? middle class oh yeah I was like, Adidas with four stripes yeah, yeah, I never seen like, that before yeah like just like off brand stuff and so wasn't spoiled but I didn't want for anything I was I didn't I had all the clothes and food I had an amazing yeah. upbringing uh, but as a you know as a, just an only child I didn't have brothers and sisters it was so I was either like entertaining myself right. imagination um, being creative. Yeah, being creative. Right. Um, or at the adults, at the adults' table. So right. there was no, there was no in between. There was no right. kids' table. Yeah. And so I think I had to perform a little bit t- in order to get recognized. Mm-hmm. And you know, to be able to hold a conversation at the dinner table, I had to sort of be, I had to put my nose out there a little bit. Uh, and ultimately, I think there's some sort of connection in there about being in front of people. And w- I know that when I was successful at school or sports or yeah. those things, that I got more pats on the back. Okay, so what I would say, so like hearing that, I thought we weren't gonna. Go I there. think we're gonna go no, there. we're gonna do it. Okay, we're gonna do it. So there's this idea about resource theory. Okay. 
So it's this idea, I did not create it by a couple psychologists who thought that as humans, we are constantly trying to exchange resources. Mm -hmm. And at first I read this and I was totally turned off. I was like, you know, yeah, that's what, transactional, yeah. right? It felt, I don't want to think of, I, I like the idea of connection being a free flowing, yeah. non quid pro quo thing. But actually what he argues is this isn't a bad thing. It just means that there are six categories of resources and in every interaction, our goal is to try to fill the resource that we have the least amount of. Interesting. Oftentimes, we also try to give that. So, for example, one of the resources is um, reputation or recognition. Sure. Would be another way to think about it. And so, if you know this about someone, you are much better to incentivize them with a recognition play as opposed to a monetary play. Money is another one. Um, for example, one of my employees, I love her, she's wonderful, and I was trying to say thank you for something. And I realized that actually a, a payment increase or a bonus wouldn't be good, but actually listing her on this project that we both finished together with her picture and her name was a way better gift for her because that was the resource she needed. And they argue that we are looking for the resource that we didn't get in childhood. Yeah, so it's it's similar to there's all kinds of psychology that talks about you trying to fill the need that wasn't met. Yeah, yeah. This was a so I have a really hard time with uh, fuzzy subjects. Okay. Right. So like when I was little, my parents would they send me off to camp. Oh God. Camp. Camp. It was horrible. Most people love camp, but no, it's like, no. Oh my this, gosh. Like, cat. I like, oh. Oh, like just because you had to be with people all the time, yeah. right? So I'm an ambivert, so like I switch into extroversion or introversion depending. So camp was like, I dreaded it all year long. My parents were like, it's good for you, you know? Cause I was like this really shy kid and they would say, just be yourself. And I remember them saying that to me and it was like they were saying, you know, just make yourself a blonde. Like <laughs> yeah. maybe I could do it, but like I had no idea how. And so the fuzzy concepts of, um, you know, give people what they're looking for didn't make sense to me. Whereas, like, learning the six categories. Ah, uh, that makes perfect Right, because then I could look at someone and look at all their answers in an interview. Or, like, I, I, I take notes about my friends. My friends know I have little matrices for each of them. Wow. <laughs> I wondered what, I wonder what's written about me and the matrices. <laughs> you have a matrix. You have a matrix. And not a Keanu Reeves matrix. <laughs> a little matrix. And, I'll, and I write down like kind of evidence and like that I can have a category. I found that because people skills does not come naturally, like I can't just show up and be like, yeah, I'll give Chase what he needs. It's easier for me to be like, ah, recognition, right? Listing him, is, like that is easier for me. Don't list me on this show. What I would like <laughs> is for you to feel like you're able to in this really free-form conversation yeah. add a lot of value. That's it. You know that I, I said it in the intro, I like to add sort of actionable stuff. Yeah. And so I'd like to, to switch gears just a yes, little please. bit. And I would like you to tell, like, how do you describe yourself? Because, yeah. you know, I'm sitting here, you got a new book coming out called yeah. Captivate, which I got an advanced copy of. Thank you for thinking of me. Yes. I'm very excited to share the world, share it with the world. Um, but how do you describe yourself? Normally, like that's one of the first or second sentences, and we're already like five minutes in here. Yeah. So, uh, what do you do, or use, or say, or what tools, what words to describe what yeah. you do and how you think about yourself? Easy one. So, I'm a behavioral investigator. Got it. Uh, lead researcher at a lab. We do original research, um, and I try to basically my lab on mice or on humans on, oh, on people on oh people. on people okay, it's, what kind of what kind of research so it's it's basically an excuse for me to ask invasively personal questions for my you own see amusement why I'm asking the questions <laughs> in this interview you can see where that could go right? yeah well, I'm excited we're gonna try to we're gonna turn the table yeah. a little bit later um, so yeah so basically I try to find puzzles 
always since I my dream career was trying to look at weird inconsistencies so like for example a research experiment we just did was on TED so I, I love TED Talks mm -hmm. and I was watching all these TED Talks and I was on I watch a TED Talk every day at lunch so I'm on TED and I search leadership in the little search bar and up pop two talks one by Simon Sinek mm -hmm. I'm sure you know it I know it yep. had I think like 45 million views at the time and the other one by Fields Wicker Murin you don't heard of her? Don't nope. know if yep. yeah. So hers had, I think, like under 30,000. And I looked at these talks, and I realized they were both 18 minutes long. They both came out the same month of the same year. They were both given by relatively unknown experts at the time yep. they gave it, and they both had almost the same title. Why? Why did one talk go viral and one didn't? Was, what was it? Was it, the, was it just the content? But I, I didn't think it How could it just be that? There's something about, I think, the first seven seconds. So we did a massive experiment where we analyzed thousands of hours of TED Talks. Wow. And my research team, they coded um, thousands of hours looking for nonverbal patterns, vocal patterns, verbal patterns. And we found distinct patterns that, oh, this predict, is so good. that predict virality. You guys are so lucky. <laughs> Pull up your chair, sit down, and take some notes. Just scoot in a little bit, get out your coffee. <laughs> keep going, keep going. Okay, so can you, can you guess? Can you guess, so if, what is one of the biggest reasons why a TED Talk goes viral? And I will tell you, it does not have to do with content. Uh, the people who share it. Oh, gosh, influencers. Okay, that's a good one. I mean, and not necessarily influencers, but if you are moved, you will share it. Yes. In this day and age, share it to get credibility within your own circle. Yeah. And so it's not just about being an influencer, but even if you have 10 friends, if if you feel like you can add value to right. others and give them something that might is difficult to exchange and difficult to give back. That would be that would be actually interestingly, one of the resource resources we yeah. talked about, one of them is information. There you go. So you'll notice like know it alls, and I love know it alls. Um, know it alls, they're good as information. So they're constantly Google checking you. They're the ones who send you <laughs> the TED Talks because then they get credit for that information. Yeah. Anyway, um, so it's interesting you say share sharing because that was a very important piece. The TED Talkers who came out and acted like they were just having coffee with the audience did best. Specifically, and this is a real I'm sipping coffee. Numerical thing. Yeah, exactly. See, that's we're going viral. We're going viral right now. Any minute now. <laughs> any minute now. Any minute now. Forty five <laughs> um, The most popular TED Talkers use an average of four hundred and sixty five hand gestures in eighteen minutes. What do you mean? So our. And our researchers, I love you, they, ca they counted every single one in the videos. Wow. The least popular TED Talkers used an average of 272 hand gestures. And I first saw this and I was like, wow, like this is, I mean, a massive difference. You don't get that kind of yeah. beautiful science, yeah. <laughs> usually. And I was like, why? Like, what is it about that? What I realized was, is that this matches a lot of the research, that when we first meet someone, we like to see their hands. And when we don't see someone's hands, like for example, if I were to put my hands underneath my legs, um, your amygdala, people watching, would begin to fire because you'd be like, what is she doing with her hands? Right, what's her intention there? What, what's under there? And the more I leave them under there, the more your brain gets distracted and takes away from my verbal message. So the TED Talkers that came out, and they all come out, and they're like, hello everyone, I have such a big idea. We're going to talk about three different things and we're going to break it down into specific ideas. Your brain is like, yay. I can see everything. I feel I can safe. See it. Yes, and it's like um, like skimming a book to find the pictures. It's like they're talking on two different tracks. Um, so it's like a explanatory. Like if I were to say, like, I have a really big idea, it's really big. It's huge. <laughs> it's in fact, it's 10 inches. Yeah, exactly. Huge. 
your, your brain laughs because you're like, it's not big, it's so small. And that's because our brain gives more weight to hand gestures. So adding that is an element of charisma. So hand gestures was one of them. Um, vocal variety. So when speakers acted like they had given the talk a million times before. And this, this actually kills me. This is another puzzle. Because so many speakers, they practice and practice and practice. Right? They, they're like coming on stage and they, they're like, oh, I just got to practice more. In a weird way, sometimes practicing is actually the worst advice you could get. Whoa. Because, like, here's the difference. If I were to say, uh, good morning, today we're going to talk about TED Talks. And TED Talks are very important because they issue the following thing. Yeah. Your brain, uh, like, your yeah. brain's like, what? But yeah. if I'm like, hey, let's talk about TED Talks. So they do this really interesting thing. And so sometimes that over-memorization yeah, flips can, you I into see, I can see how that would happen. autopilot. So hand gestures, vocal variety, um, and smiling. Who was, knew? So you consider yourself a researcher. Researcher. And yeah. and a writer. And a writer. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm actually gonna do it right now. Okay, do it. Okay, do it. <laughs> She's so um, nervous about promoting her book. I'm gonna promote the shit out of it because it's incredible. It's called Captain. Can Captivate. you curse? Yeah. Oh I just did. Can I curse? Sure. Oh wow. I mean, yeah. Okay, okay. Captivate the science of the science of succeeding with people. You are the people guru. In fact, I've recommended you to friends. Mm -hmm, that's and right. You've gone and spoken. Yes. Uh, to very esteemed groups based on my yes. recommendation because awesome. you're a badass. It's incredible. I will say, I think that I read a lot of people skills books growing up. Okay. Um, I still I still read them all the time, and I think that the problem with a lot of the research that was out there, at least for me, is it was written by naturally charismatic people. So when you have a book or a blog or a video that's written by someone. If you have a book. If you, if you have a book. She said, you don't need to promote the book. I was like, I'm passionate about the book. Okay. I'm promoting the book. <laughs> so if you have a book where you are an ambivert or an introvert or I call myself a recovering awkward person, um, you read it and you're like, this comes so natural to them. They say things like, be more authentic. Just find your passion. You know, and you're like, what? Like, I don't know what this means. It'll be good for you, like right. camp. Yeah, yeah. It's like mm -hmm. exactly like camp. So I was like, I want to write a book that's like shows my struggles, because the point is, is that even if you don't have it naturally, you can still learn it. So that was sort of the the goal with it. Well, that's the beautiful gist behind the book. You're a researcher who researches humans, and when you find things out about humans, you share them. Which yes. is, you've got a handful of classes on Creative Live. Yes. That's the one I referenced earlier. Watching, oh my god, in disbelief. I find that emotional intelligence is a game changer for so many people. People, whether you call it, actually, well, you tell me, what are, what are some examples of emotional intelligence? So the folks at home can go, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Like, like uh, charisma is a word you just used, but there's probably several others. Yeah, I think also emotional intelligence, is a, it's a big phrase, but it's not just your interactions with others. It's also your ability to self-regulate. So an aspect of emotional intelligence could be um, someone makes you, rubs you the wrong way. Right? How do you still make conversation with them? Right? Or a boss criticizes you. How do you de-escalate? Like I call it, I, when I talk about bosses, I call it, talk about managing up. Right? Like you have to learn how to manage upwards. Like how do, it's emotional regulation. The other aspect is, okay, how do I um, send the right signals? So the difference is decoding and encoding. So what I always talk about is uh, decoding the, the nonverbal or emotional signals to read things and then encoding are the signals that you send out. 
So it's two sides, and usually people are stronger in one or the other. Ooh, can we go into this one? one yeah. Deeper? Okay. Yes. So I have recently made a video where I'm, um, I'm aiming, my wife is introverted, you know Kate Yep, really well. I know Kate, yep. Uh, and what that means, my understanding of that means is that she gets her energy from quiet and then she can go out there and does her thing in the world and she, everybody loves Kate when we survey our friends. You get one of us on a desert island, the other one's gone forever. 100% of people choose <laughs> no. Kate, just, they do, just no. for the, yeah, just for the uh, record. So she's very likable. Yeah, she is. Uh, um, but my, my, my video is like, hey, if you're an introvert, I, I, I'm a very extroverted con uh, person, but I want to make some content that helps you understand some of the ways, because as if you're going to try and sell your work as an artist, as yes. a creative, as an entrepreneur, yes. some of these skills that are typically thought of as more introvert, more extroverted might be useful. Yeah. I'm not trying to get you to change and be an introvert, be right. an extrovert if you're, if you're not. Right. And then what are the skills that introverts have, listening, empathy, some of these other right. things that are a little bit more maybe leaning that way that you could use to your advantage. And it was... People liked it. There's a lot of really more deep comments. And so I'm curious, knowing that that was a thing that, that I felt like added value, I want to do that more here. So yeah. can you be super specific yes. about some of these encoding? Yes. No, encoding was decoding, yeah. Encoding. So decoding is reading yeah. others, encoding are Encoding is like, yeah. what are some things, and the audience, just as a, re as a recall for you, that's paying attention to this show, is largely, there are two groups. One. I want to go from one to ten. I identify as creative or entrepreneurial, and I'm trying to yeah. get my side hustle on or, or create a living okay. and a life that I want. And the other one is like, I'm I don't know, but I'm curious, and so trying to get to go from zero to one. Yeah. And so, just tell a little bit of a story about some encoding. Yeah. So I think that the first thing is that there is more than one flavor of charisma. Mm -hmm. So. A lot of us think of charismatic as the bubbly extrovert, right? Or the like booming presidential personality, right? But actually charisma comes in lots of different flavors. So you have the quiet contemplative charismatic person, right? That person who maybe they're not talking a lot, but you can feel their presence. Yeah. Uh, you have the powerful imposing charismatic. So there's a lot of different flavors. I think what's more important is to not try to be the bubbly extrovert if that isn't you. The way that I think that you do that, at least the way that I have done it, is the difference between being an ambivalent reader or an avid fan. So think about like the, the brands of the companies that create the avid fan versus like the ambivalent passive user. I think it's the same thing in everyday life. Like what are the either the people or the places where you're like kind of ambivalent? You're like, uh take it or leave it. I could go out tonight. I guess I could see that friend that I haven't seen in a few months. I could call that old person that I haven't talked to. That kind of ambivalence, I think, is actually more dangerous than we give it credit for. In fact, there's research that shows that ambivalent relationships are more toxic than toxic ones. Wow. So they did this study, and I'm trying to remember the details right. So they looked at police officers, and they found that when police officers have more ambivalent relationships, an ambivalent relationship means someone where you're either not sure where you stand, or um, you're not sure if they like you or not, where you're not sure if you like them, those are all ambivalent relationships. Okay. Um, toxic, I don't like them, they don't like me, we're not good for each other. The police officers that had more ambivalent relationships were not only less happy at work, they actually had lower productivity, they made more errors. And so this idea of ambivalence is actually really important for introverts. Wow, yeah, because you can send off that message accidentally. Accidentally, and it makes you more passive. So introverts, because they get energy from being alone, they recharge from being alone, 
when they get into an environment where they're ambivalent about a relationship, it makes them be like, why did I come out in the first place? And so it reinforces this idea that you can't have fun out of the house. Extroverts, you tell me if you're wrong. So okay. I have this feeling, Chase, that when you meet people, even if you don't really like them, you find a way to either find something interesting about them or find something to talk about. Yeah, because you can learn something from everyone, even if it's something that you don't want to... This is an extrovert. This is an extrovert. <laughs> this is an extrovert. Do I should get a tattoo? <laughs> yeah, extrovert. Yeah. So what happens is, is you can flip ambivalent people into a learning opportunity or a friend, right? You, or you're like, no, toxic. Introverts have a little bit of a harder time with that. It's harder for them to recognize, how do I flip this person? How do I find something to ask about because I, I'm not comfortable with a lot of conversation? And so it drains them. Like it drains them much more. So I would say, think about the people in your life who fall into that ambivalent category where you're either seeing them because you think you should, mm-hmm. they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're seeing them because you feel guilty. They're an old friend or a college friend or a situational friend. And then think about how much energy and space you would get back if you said no. Oh, wow. Oh. Because <laughs> every time you say no, you make more space for the right people. Right? I, I do believe in people. I believe deeply that if you surround yourself by with great people, that it's invariably they, that osmosis. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. 100%. Yeah, yeah. I 100% believe that. And the, the, the thing about that is that we don't think about... Energy is a finite research, right? It's not infinite. So you have limited mental space. So why spend extra it? Limited. Extra <laughs> limits. Yes. Why spend it worrying about the a relationship? And I think that the biggest mistake I made is for many, many years, I had a lot of ambivalent, almost toxic, but ambivalent relationships. And I didn't know there was anything better. I, I actually did not know that. And so when I finally found a real, amazing, fulfilling relationship, I was like, why have I spent all these years in ambivalent ones? So if anything, if you're watching this video, to think about you deserve better. Like there is something better and the ambivalent relationships are not worth it. How do you get out of it? How do you not get out of ambivalent relationships, but how do you, rather, how do you find Hmm. non-ambivalent relationships? Even like finding toxic so you know what you don't want, but more productively, obviously. Well, actually two juicy subjects right there. You can decide which one you want to talk about. You you know, whatever rabbit hole you think you get more game on. (laughs) One, breaking up with friends, which is something that no one ever talks about, but it's a thing. We're going to talk about it right now. Okay. And the second one, which we can talk about also is like, how do you begin to create friendships as adults? Like, it's so easy when you're younger. You're in school, you're in class, clubs. But like as an adult, there's no like Tinder for friendships. Yeah. I don't think. (laughs) Well, I think it's Tinder for Tinder. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So like, if I want to go make a new friend, like, it it would be silly if I like, actually, this this actually happened the other day. So Okay. So I, I made a new friend. Her name is Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Yeah. So I was at the gym and I was I was laying on the mat and I was like, I really should do abs. And I was like laying on the mat, not doing abs. And I was like stretching, you know, I was yeah. like, like stretching my hamstrings. And this girl comes over and she's like, oh, is there a room here? And I was like, sure. And I was like, and I don't know, like something just took took over my body. And I was like, what are you gonna do? And I was like, who was that? Who said that? I'm like, what? And, and she was like, oh, I'm going to do some glutes. I'm going to I'm going to Mexico in the next few weeks. And I was like, can I do them with you? And she was like, sure. And so, like, there we were, like, doing our glutes in the gym. And we're, like, chatting. We're chatting about Mexico. And I was like, 
I made a friend. I Good made a job, friend. Mew. And I said to her, I was like, I was like, we should be friends. I actually <laughs> said that to her. And it struck me in this moment that we never like that's weird. That's a little weird. Yeah, you're um, she totally sorry about it being weird right now. Yeah, yeah. It was like a very weird experience. But she like totally she was like, Yeah, we can be friends. And so like she works at the same time as I do. But it made me realize that we don't have that skill, nor is it acceptable to be searching for friends as adults. Oh, so I think I would love to talk to you about both. Okay. I don't know if I have the answers. Well, let's Which go one do there. you want to start with? Yeah, I, I, whichever you prefer. You go. Let's talk about friends. Okay. So do you have enough friends? I think I do. So I think most people in our lab, we've asked this question on Twitter. We do Twitter polls all the time. Okay. We've asked people, do you feel like you have enough friends? How many friends do you have? And we actually have them select. Zero friends, one friend, two friends. We like, have them select this. Wow. Mm-hmm. And most people say, I think it was like 78% of people say that they do not feel like they have enough friends. But a lot of them will name three to four friends okay. they have. Which I think means that all of us have this like little tiny part of ourselves that as an adult we're like, maybe I have this best friend that's still out there. Like maybe I can still find them. It. But it's unacceptable to go friend dating. It's true. I don't know anyone that's like, we want to experiment and see if we're friends. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Stay, but like you should do that because if you don't do that, that's when you get into friend breakups. Like for example, I think that it's really hard to know if someone could be a good friend for you in the first five minutes of an interaction. For sure. And so it's really hard to break up with them. I think the only way to think about friendships is to do it just like dating. Wow, just like... I think you should do it just like dating. I think we're not good for each other. Yeah, I think we're not good for each other, or I don't think that we make each other better people, right? Like, I think it should be the exact same way. The hard part about this is that it's not acceptable. Yeah, it's crazy. Just the thought of it, I was imagining that, and it seems way more awkward than someone who you're actually dating, which is weird because I know you're way closer to the person right. And then there's like dating. all these other like things, topics that could be like, oh my god, like does he not like like my kissing? Like there's all these <laughs> things that he could you like worry about with friendships. Like none of that is at play, but somehow it's more awkward. I love that. That's crazy. I think it's like a slow step back, right? Okay. You can be, like do the slow yeah, step like, back from from ambivalent or toxic friends. I think I do that uh, through. Just through more subtle means rather than through really. Yeah. And, and are you, is, it, is that your coaching advice is to maybe spend less energy? But yeah, I, I th- but it's weird because I don't, I don't think I spend energy around trying to break up with people who I don't yeah. love. But I'm also, I'm, I'm pretty much at crazy level of optimism. Right. <laughs> so like everyone's going to come around or, uh, and that's why. I, um, huh. All right, I got to process that one. Let's yes. go the other way around. Yes. For a second. Making friends. Yep. Making friends. So I think that I I have not been able to make friends outside of shared interests. And I have this theory I call it the string theory, which um, is a very silly way of thinking about how we all have these like giant balls of string that we're carrying around with us. And these giant balls of string are like our interests, our tastes, our values, our history. And what we're trying to do basically when we meet someone, if I think about it metaphorically, is we're trying to give someone else one of our strings. Like, we want to see, like, do we share a string? Like, oh, like, I went to that school. Did you go to that school? Like, we're, we're all trying to figure it sure. out. And so the more connections you have between someone, the easier it is to make friends with them because it literally ties you together. Got it. So I think that if you can put yourself in contexts or you make it obvious that you have these strings ready to go, then people are much more likely to then grasp it and make friends with you. And this works out in the research too. Okay. So, um, OkCupid, 
They do amazing research on data. And they found that when people list very specific words in their profiles, they get more responses. So everything from vegan to tattoos to... Um, it's like a club. It, it's, a, it's an indicator. So the Got biggest it. mistake that people make is they try to make their profiles appeal to everyone. Generic. Yeah, as soon as you're trying to appeal to everybody, you appeal to nobody. Exactly. And what happens is you get ambivalent relationships. Gosh. If you are like, I yeah, think of this in terms that. of products. Like, I, I like uh, to make products for a very specific yes. group of people. Like, that's why a lot of these videos. I have introverts. If you're a creative and an entrepreneur and an introvert, this video is for you. Yes. Like, that's like yes. 90% of the people are just like, I'm not any of those things, so I'm out of here. But for the people who it is, it's like. So that's exactly yeah. what changed my business. Okay, and humans. You're saying you this is a this is a human behavior. It's an indicator of interest, right? You're saying basically, I'm ostracizing this group of people so that I can find this small group of you, right? Like that's basically what you're saying. And so I originally thought of this in like sort of the dating profile world or friendships, like you know wearing a badge or whatever. Like yeah. it sort of indicates things. But I think in business, this is a differentiator between successful business people and not. Um, for me, in the beginning, I was writing a lot about science. Yep. And I want to, can we use yes. this as a way to go yes. into your business? Okay, Let's keep, do it, yes. Keep going, keep pulling We pivoted, on this, we pivoted. Keep pulling on the string that you gave me from your ball. I don't know if that's not, <laughs> we'll just stop there. I like How it. do you, like, you've got all this amazing stuff, and I want to, yeah. we're going to go down this rabbit hole, and then we're going to go back out, because I've got a bunch of more tactical okay. stuff, because I know that people are like. And we can do tactical uh, stuff in business, too. Okay, so give me tactical, like, how do you make a living? Like, yes, my, so, my business model. Yeah, what's your business model? Because I know people that would, well, I know you have speak all over the place, mm -hmm. and you get paid there, but what else you got? Yeah, so we have two sides of our business. Um, basically, it's how can I fund original research and writing? That's always the question. Um, we have a B2B side and a B2C side. So the B2B, it's really simple. It's corporate trainings and workshops, occasionally white papers, like doing research for a company. Okay. And those are easy. Like I do, I don't know, three or four trainings a month, going to different companies and doing like a day-long workshop for them. Um, that's what we did for your friends. Yep. Um, the other side is the B2C side. So this is online courses, columns. I don't do coaching. However, we have like kind of a, a licensing program where we have 112 trainers around the world who teach my exact slides in their city. Ah, that's cool. So basically we have science of people around the world. So for example, we have trainers in Stockholm. I'm going to Stockholm this summer. Nice. I'm very excited to visit two of them. Um, so we have trainers in Stockholm. So if someone contacts us from Sweden, instead of flying me all the way out there, I can say, yeah, I have two amazing trainers here, they're specialties, and they teach my exact same slides. So they pay a licensing fee to us. Sometimes we take a cut of the business if we direct send it to them. Otherwise, they they can run their own business. And so that's the other kind of consumer side. So courses and then our trainers. Cool. Yeah. So writing white papers, doing research, getting research funding, and then but there's this consumer side of you, which oh, yeah. I see, and it is going bonkers because of this emotional intelligence yes. stuff. Yes. And I see you coaching people in business, how to, how to be better negotiators. Actually, that's your Creative Live class is about negotiating. Right now, yes. We're doing the power of negotiation from a science perspective. Wow. So not just like, again, the negotiation tips I would get was like, be powerful. <laughs> like, just stand yeah. up for yourself. Or like, you know, telling women, ask for more money. 
without that, the tool set? Yeah, like that so doesn't is, work. So you're breaking it down and then you're giving them tactical yes. tools to do it. Yes, okay. based on the research. So yeah, so those are the kind of consumer-facing things that I try to find. But specifically, that did not work for a long time. So I started my company 10 years ago now. Okay. Um, and for the first few years, it was a lot of trial and error. Specifically, I, I was coming at it from a science journalist perspective, right? I would write an article and I would try to be like real neutral, you know, cover all the research, I'm make sure I hit all my points. I know that's that's the equivalent of ambivalent. Yeah, ex exactly. Oh, yay. Yes, that is exactly what it was. It is. I was trying to be this appeal to everyone, pop side journalist. And so people would read it. You know, we had readers, mm -hmm. very few comments, very few shares, so ambivalent that they would not subscribe to a newsletter, they would not buy a course. And so it was this very frustrating time in my business because I realized I was appealing to people. There was some product was market traction, fit, yeah. just enough traction to keep me going, um, but there wasn't a hit there. And so finally I decided, you know what, like I'm going to write, I think I wrote one article on um, being a recovering awkward person. And it was specifically geared towards other people who walk into a room and they're just like, Awkward, where do awkward. I go? Where do I, how do I stand? What do I do with my hands? Exactly. And so, yeah, exactly. And so I was like, I'm going to speak to the, that people. And if all the other people can just ignore this post, of course, like that post got you know 50,000 shares. Like it was just insane. And I was like, Hmm. hmm. And it was the equivalent in business of having ambivalent fans. And I think that's the difference, like ambivalent readers versus avid fans. And I'm always trying to go for an avid fan with markers, even ostracization. Ostracization. Is that right? You nailed yeah. it. Yes. Um, to be like, this is not for you, right? Like this is not for you, but for you, like this little this specific person, that's for you. And so I think that when I started to dial into that, it got more sticky from business so, consumer side. So. That that part is the part that I'm watching. The part where people are realizing that empathy and awareness and mm -hmm. self-awareness, all that stuff that you coach, is so valuable. So now, since I understand a little bit more yeah. about your business, yeah, I want to go back out and can you can we get tactical? Like yeah, you've I have watched so many segments like how to work a room, yeah. um, the triple nod. I included the triple nod in my video that I made around about introverts. Yes, I give you full like Vanessa Van Edwards taught me this thing. <laughs> Um, I've been doing it. You've been doing it. Yeah, the whole time. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I'm, I wonder what else she's reading into my body language here. Actually, the first time I mini interviewed you in the back of an Uber for my Uber yes, Live stuff. Yes, at South by Southwest. Yes, it was. This is. It was like three years ago. That's right. And I touched you, and then I was like, "Oh, super good. Glad you're here." And yeah, and and then you were two minutes. You're like, "Okay, so that thing you did right there—that's a power move that you're doing. This, you see the thing <laughs> yeah. you're doing with your shoulders. You're doing like this." And I was. I'm, I'm part terrified but part fascinated like I better be friends with Vanessa so I can learn <laughs> I so you. much stuff yes you know? but it was I will fantastic. say though I will say decoding is a blessing and a curse okay and what I mean by that is once you learn it you cannot unlearn it uh -huh. so like for example one thing that we talk about a lot is the seven micro expressions mm. so have you ever seen the show lie to me has anyone seen that show lie to me amazing show on Netflix you should definitely go watch it. it's about a human lie detector Okay. And this show is based on a real life man. His name, his name is Dr. Paul Ekman. He's who I trained with. Oh my gosh. And he's discovered this idea that there are seven universal facial expressions. Um, and I actually think that tactical wise, this was a game changer in my business as well. Um, because when you learn how to spot these seven emotions, you can read people's emotions. <laughs> Uh, and that cuts both ways. And that so, cuts both ways. Sure. So I've discovered things that I did not want to discover, but I've also, I would rather live in hard truth than ignorant bliss. Like always. 
And so we, we can learn. So should I teach you a micro expression or two? Yeah. I don't know if one? I want to know all of them or not because I'm nervous about knowing <laughs> some. I don't want to know if I want to know it. I'm going to teach you a good one. But I have to okay. also teach Kate too. Okay. Yes. It's only fair that okay. I teach both partners. <laughs> if you have a partner, you got to make sure they can learn them okay. too. Okay. So let's do. Um, I got to pick a favorite. Picking a favorite micro expression is like picking a favorite child for me. Yes. Yeah, really hard. But I'm going to start with um, disgust. So disgust. Do you want to do it with me? So this yeah. is when you crinkle your nose up and flash to everyone. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Uh, okay, so this face is the face we make when we smell something bad. A lot of people are like, in business, why do I need to know it? So we have found, so we interrogate people in our lab. We do a ton of lie detection research. It's my favorite. I love it. I love it. So what we do is we have people, we ask them to submit lies to this us on so camera. Cool. Okay. <laughs> we ask them to submit lies to us on camera because I want to see if I can spot their lies. So they play two, two, two truths and a lie. They make up fake stories. We found was is that people frequently show disgust right before they're about to lie. The reason for that is because we hate to lie. We know it gets us in trouble. We know that it's against our identity. Usually people, unless they're pathological liars, they hate, they hate having to lie. And so what they'll do is you'll ask someone, um, so what do you think of the new girl? Oh yeah, yeah, she's um. <laughs> and they show that on their face. And the and it has this kind of self disgust. By the way, do this face if you try it at home. It's good. not natural. It doesn't, no, it doesn't feel, feel good. good either, huh? This is the feeling of oh, I had to lie about that. Like that is that feeling. So watch out for this disgust, okay. especially when you're asking someone preference based questions. So all day long, you're asking customers or consumers, what do you think of the product? What do you think of the service? You're asking colleagues, what do you think of the new girl? What do you think of the new project? Looking for that is your opportunity. To say, tell me the truth. It's okay. Like you're not. I'm not gonna take it personally. That for me has unlocked so many people, and I do mean unlocked people. Can you do one more? Yeah. Okay. One more. For the folks at home that are listening to this instead oh, of watching. Oh, it. let me explain it. Okay. Yeah. So, um, discuss. I actually, I actually like doing just the audio. So, okay. for those of you who are just listening, uh, if you could please crinkle your nose up, so raise it up as high as it will go, and then show the upper whites of your teeth, so lift your upper lip, and then say, ugh, that is the face of disgust. Perfecto. And uh, I'm sure there's varying degrees of that, and but it's, uh, that's what any, you're looking at. Like, any time that someone raises their upper lip and crinkles their nose, that is a very unnatural way to have your face. Yeah. And so you know you're... It's tiring and painful. hundred percent, because we don't like it. Okay, the last one I'm going to teach right, you. Okay. It's my okay. other favorite. Um, so this is contempt. So contempt is the simplest but most deadly of the micro-expressions. It's a one-sided mouth raise. So just try doing a little smirk. Just like one-sided, either side. Yeah, perfect. So that, most people think, and on our body language quiz, most people think it means boredom. But actually, this is a sign of just kind of contempt, pessimism, scorn. Yeah, we're like, oh, I don't really like it. The reason why this one is fascinating it's to me. It's like it, not people. Like, yes. Okay. Because you said it, and I want to make sure it's like, it's not It's not that you don't like other people. It's like someone in the room. It's like... It's it's a it's a feeling of scorn or even a little bit of superiority. That and that is why contempt is dangerous. Is if you see it in the workplace, if you see it on your colleague's face, or on a partner's face, or if you're negotiating, heaven forbid, there's an element there of the other person thinking, I'm better than this. Maybe not better than you, better than this. That is a dangerous emotion. Specifically, um, Dr. John Gottman, he's a researcher up in Seattle. He runs a love lab. Yeah. 
Um, he's like, like one of my heroes. I have I like love scientists. Like scientists are my celebrities. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. At the Gottman Lab. I yes. People that have gone to see him. He can predict like incredible lengthy marriage or something like that. So that that's exactly where this comes from. So he can watch a silent video of a couple and tell you with ninety three point six percent accuracy if that couple will get divorced within thirty years. What he's looking for is the simple smirk. He found, after following couples for years in his lab, that when a couple showed contempt towards the other in an initial intake interview, with 93.6% accuracy, they would get divorced within 30 years. Uh, like, that That's is like, like we don't hear crazy. numbers like 93.6%. The reason for this is because, I think, I think, is because I think contempt is the only emotion that doesn't go away. Happiness comes in a burst, yeah. and it settles. Fear comes all at once, then you calm down. Anger comes in a vengeful burst, and then you calm yourself down. But not contempt. Contempt wow. is this emotion that sits and it festers. And it grows and it grows into disrespect. And that's why, or hatred, and that's why at the end of a really long marriage, you get two people who can't even look each other in the eye anymore. It's because at one point or another, there was this feeling of, I'm better than this. Once you get that, it's an insidious little beast, right? You have to address that contempt. And so in business, I have spotted contempt on people I have almost worked with. Thank goodness. Wow. I spotted what that contempt. What a tool this is. It, it's, and it's, once you see it, you, you don't unsee it. Um, yeah, I, because I'm just thinking how powerful it is. It's a very powerful level. You see it, and, and then the question is, so decoding is step one. The emotional intelligence comes from step two, which is, what do you do? Yeah. Right? Like, you see contempt on someone's face, what do you do? So I think that it's, and I struggle with this, so I don't have an answer, but I think... Oh, I, killing me. I have options. I have options. You can use it as, like, a back pocket intel, right? You know, hmm, there was something that made this person feel really contemptuous. Or you can choose to address it, which is typically where I go. Um, I, I practice radical honesty. Wow. I don't know if you know about radical honesty, but... I'm learning about it right now. <laughs> okay. It's um, something that I try. I, I try it with my husband um, and all my friends, which is telling it like it is. Um, I would rather live in hard honesty than yeah. ignorant bliss. And so um, I'll say, you know, is everything okay? Like, you looked a little upset. So my three favorite words for emotional intelligence... Upset, overwhelmed, confused. You ask someone, do you feel upset? Are you overwhelmed? Are you a little confused? They will fill in the blank. Those three words are like, you tell me what's happening for you. Interesting. When I, uh, when I was listening to those words, when yeah. you asked me indirectly through yes. this example, yes. if I felt confused, I was like, that's sort of insulting because like, you're asking yeah. me if I'm confused, yeah. which means that I, for some reason, don't understand something. So you'd be judging my ability to take in uh -huh. the situation. And then in that kind of like offense, uh -huh. don't you want to correct me? Is that, is that the flip? That's the flip. Okay, I get it. Right. So if I say, and, and again, this could be like when someone showed contempt at you. Yeah. There's like some serious stuff going on there. So saying, you know, are you confused? How does this feel? And they're like... No, I'm not confused. I'm frustrated. Bingo. They just give me something. Bingo. Got it. Right. And then you got it. This is... Are you starting <laughs> that to That feels see... sort of devious. I don't mean in a devious no, way. No, at all. But it can, be, it can be used for good. This is what I'm asking. A hundred percent. And... on the show. And it can be used for fun, too. Which is... So anyone Sick who watches fun. The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, 
I watch oh. The Bachelor for work. Of course you do. Yeah. And it's the only way I can get the uh, TV for my husband during Monday Night Football. And um, I'm in a Bachelorette Fantasy League. Real easy to win uh, when you're looking for micro-expressions. Yes, it's my football because, because if you can read micro-expressions, you always know who's going to go home. Right, because you know, like you know, you can see the contempt or the disgust or the fear or the anger, or sadness, whatever on their face. So it's also very fun for um, reality television. Wow, <laughs> it's my only guilty pleasure. Don't judge me wow. too much on watching The Bachelor. Um, I think we may have jumped fast forward. Sorry, no, no, this is incredible. Okay, good. Business, we're talking about business. You no, know, you have so much knowledge, and that's again one of the reasons I I wish the show was like seven hours long. But so let's go back to a yeah. little bit of. Uh, encoding yes like what are some give, give us some more encoding things that we can do yeah so um, um, yeah. so we talked about um, all, so let's talk about expressiveness okay. for a second we're talking about micro expressions um, so another thing that sometimes introverts or ambiverts struggle with with the encoding piece is um, being expressive extroverts are very good at it right like you're better at hand gestures you're better at facial mirroring um, but expressiveness is actually a very important part of our empathetic feedback loop. Okay. So empathy, for some people, doesn't come as naturally. You know, emotional intelligence, everything is a spectrum. Like you're never like good or bad. You're usually like somewhere in the middle. So empathy is one of these interesting skills that we actually can hone. And there is a feedback loop. So for example, let's say that I'm sad. Okay. So if I'm sad, I will make the sadness microexpression. So the sadness microexpression um, is when I pull my eyebrows together and then I drop my corners of my mouth and then I pout out my lower lip and then I droop my lids. That's clearly very, very, very sad. You like, get all of the sad. sadness of the whole universe in your face. Yeah, right? exactly. But it's in, presumably it's some of, like it doesn't have to be all of those to 11, which you just showed. It, right. It could even just be, yeah, just, right. Yeah, a little, then, little eyebrow wrinkle, like right. a little like a sad puppy kind of. Huh? Right. And then as soon as I like add the lower lip, it really makes me look sad, right? Yeah. And I know, by the way, if I get that right, if I begin to tear up, uh, it's the precursor expression to crying. Um, so I can, uh, you can make yourself cry quite easily by doing the sadness microexpression. Uh, I mean, it's endless. <laughs> the knowledge we're getting right here. You, you, you folks are tuned in. Here. I don't want to teach people how to cry on command. I, I That's a terrible skill unless you're an actress. I get it. But we're gonna. So if you give me so, the sadness thing. So so if I if I give you sadness, um, you cannot help but mirror that expression. So that is an encode. Yeah. So for example, if I pull my eyebrows together, you are more likely to like begin to lower your yeah. your lids as well. That is because if you make the sadness expression, you begin to feel as I feel. So our emotions are feedback loops. Women who have been Botoxed in their face feel less emotions. Wow. Because it literally stops the feedback loop. So when we're talking about encoding, being a stony face or still face actually harms your ability to feel as the other person feels. The best thing you can do is practice, and this is only with people who really are close to you. Yeah. Don't do this with strangers, like that's dangerous, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't want you to mirror strangers. The best thing you can do to a partner or a spouse is that when they are feeling their emotion, you let yourself try to mimic what they are doing. So it's not purposeful mirroring necessarily. It's just saying, I'm gonna let my body follow them because you will then feel as they feel. The same thing goes with happiness, by the way. The worst thing, and I see this a lot with introverts who write in, introverts will say, my extroverted spouse always says I'm not happy for them. And the reason for that is the extroverted spouse is like, yeah, I'm so excited. And this is, so my husband, I love him. He's a super, super introvert. And he is very, very still-faced. And so like I'll be like, we went to Harry Potter World a few weeks ago. And I was like, 
like running around with butterbeer. I was like so excited and like eating jelly beans. And my, my this is how my husband enjoyed the park. Are you ready? That's fun. Cool. I'm having so much fun. And like that is genuinely how he has a good time, but he just doesn't show it on his face. So when I let myself like smile with someone else, it's you're literally highlighting their emotions for them. So from an encoding perspective, instead of worrying about doing something that's fake or inauthentic, the best thing you can do is actually just to mirror what you see. Wow. Because it helps you feel it. Wow. It's like yeah. a it's like a a pathway to empathy. In, immediate empathy. And we don't think about emotions that way. The other thing you can do if you just want to do that by yourself is when you're watching videos and they do close-ups on people's faces, try to mimic it. Just, just see what happens. A lot of the time, you have to get better at getting tuned into this. If you make, like if I see someone make a face in an interrogation and I don't know what they're feeling and I'm like, what did they feel in that moment? Like I just asked them a question and they did this face, what does it mean? I will try to make that face and tune into how I feel. That is a very interesting way to try to literally feel what they are going through. This is so nice. But there's fun. a whole, I also just realized in that moment, like, I already know so many things that I want to think about and work and put a <laughs> pin in these and go, come back to them. That's one of the reasons the book is expressly yes. useful. Yes. It's, it's literally Captivate. my playbook. It's, it's, I, I, I had, so when I was in college is when I really dove into people's skills. Uh-huh. Um, and recovering awkwardness was just not recovering yet. I was in like full blown awkwardness. Uh, I was not in recovery yet. I had these notebooks that I would take notes and I would add like post its and things. And I took the notebooks, like, you know, 10 or 12 of them and distilled them into it. So it's what I wish I had been given when I was in school. It's like the emotional intelligence um, reference guide. Textbook to people. Textbook to people is even better. You worked on that one. I worked on that one. You just softballed it to me. You were like softball, and I was like, woo! I made a sports reference. Nice job. <laughs> it was worked. It worked, right? Yeah, you got through that whole awkward thing. Right? I know. Awkward no more. I worked really hard on my sports references. So my dad, this is ridiculous. Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm going to say this. You're saying okay. it, though. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Go. So my dad, my dad knew knows that I'm I'm not good at sports, right? Not, not at all. And he's like, look, you're going to college. You're gonna meet boys who like football. You gotta have some knowledge of football. And I was like, uh huh. So he was like, here's what you say if a guy says he likes football. So get them to just stop talking about it. He's like, just say, your favorite team is the 49ers, but they were a lot better in the Jerry Rice era. That is all I know about football. Like, in a sentence. <laughs> what amazing one-liner though. And it's amazing. And the thing is, is like I would get to call it and I would just repeat this. Like I would like, you know, football or bat I don't even know. Soccer would come up. You know, like 49ers are football, right? Yep. Yeah. So like I would I would be like, I'm such a fan of the 49ers, but it was so much better than the Jerry Jerry Rice era. And all the guys would be like, totally, that's so true. <laughs> and you're like, Dad. And I'm like, and I'm out. And I'm done. Like, mic drop. But yeah, I'm just going to go over here now. <laughs> and and then, like, and slowly back away to no more football questions. Because, wow. so that I'm working on my sports references. There you go. Because I think that they're good analogies. Nice. So. Get it out of the park on that one. <laughs> oh. oh All right, I'm going to ask for another layer of tactics. <laughs> okay. Just what I'm trying to do is give the folks at home who are listening or watching a sense for the badassery, a sense for oh, the gosh. power of the tools 
that you yeah. have to affect change. I'm ready. I have already referenced a bit at an earlier Chase Jarvis Raw that I did where I referenced you and was talking about the triple nod. If you want to get, get like you and I right now, we're in a triple, oh, yeah, nod, totally. triple nod off. Oh, yeah, totally. We just like to get the we're other just like, person yeah, talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> um, but I want to talk about negotiating for yeah, just a second. Sure. I know that's the topic of yes. That yeah, that's the topic coming of up class. Mm -hmm. um, any insight? Like, what, if I had to ask for a couple of key levers in negotiating, yeah. just give me like a, the, a, 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 what is it called? Cliff note version. Love it. Right yeah. So I think that the most important thing, the biggest mistake a lot of people make before they go into negotiations is they think about value in a way that doesn't serve them. So I like to think about before I go into any negotiation, I want everyone to put together a little negotiation cheat sheet for themselves. And the very first thing I try to think about is the difference between a vitamin and a painkiller. I'm sure you've heard this idea before. Oh, for sure. Think okay. about in terms of products, are you, what are you developing? Are you yes. Developing a, I, a and I think in terms of products, that's also served me, right? Like, for example, I have a whole product suite, right? And so the power of body language, great class, vitamin product, right? The way that it's branded, vitamin product. It's good for me to learn body language. Yeah, this is a class on creative life that you can buy. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. There you go. Just yes. FYI. And so I realized that was a vitamin product which isn't as sexy, but if I could turn some of the course lectures from aspects of it into a painkiller, it would be much better. So like for example, um, uh, lie detection in 100 minutes, right? Or um, uh, negotiating for your first car. Like that's a painkiller. So that worked for me with products, it works really well. Um, like breaking up a vitamin course into painkiller lectures. Amazing. That's a very, very good way to do it. This is why I'm. I get so sucked into your content. Yeah. Because it's yeah. it's incredibly tactical. Everything I've ever watched is yeah. It big idea. Exactly. Vitamin. 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 And then oh. And then I went, I'm like I just want to like keep you. I'm like come you on. Got me. Keep watching. So the okay. same thing works in negotiations. Okay. However, what you are arguing for can also be split from vitamins and pain into vitamins and painkillers. So for example, if you're negotiating with someone, you're, you, uh, you're pitching a company on bringing you in as a speaker, right? And you have to negotiate your rates and if they're gonna bring you. A vitamin would be, this training will be great for your sales team, right? It would be so good for them to know body language, it would be so good for them to know these tactics. That's a vitamin, right? They could for book sure. you anytime, anywhere. A painkiller, and you have to really work at finding these in a negotiation would be, um, I'm gonna help your retention over the next five months. Or you find out in the rapport building process that their goals are, he's a new manager and he has no idea how to lead them. So it would be, this is going to help your employees bond with you in one day, right, as a manager. Pow. P pow, right, that is a painkiller. That's like, well, I don't wanna wait for this. And that's what you're trying to think of in negotiation is, I don't wanna put this deal off. I definitely want to buy it now, whatever it is, and I'm going to have to pay premium for it. And I think that you said something. Um, there was an interview I listened to, correct me if I'm wrong, All right. uh, many years ago with you and Tim Ferriss, okay. and I believe you said that a turning point in your career was when you like tripled your rates. Yes. I think that that's the other aspect here, is that people perceive value when you put value on it first. Was it tripled your rates? At least. At least. <laughs> at least. Yeah, I just decided I made a very active, proactive decision that I wanted to be. I would rather work for fewer people at higher rates on things that I cared about. Yeah. And it, I realize also that it's a, a somewhat of you got to be careful of because you're putting yourself in a privileged position. Yeah. But I would rather risk 
not working and then when things started to happen in the way I wanted it to happen that that was going to be a better outcome for me yeah. and I actually just thought like well what happens if it doesn't work I can always do the opposite exactly and so I, I started framing it that way and it was incredibly effective. So I have to thank you for that piece of advice because I heard that podcast. I had started listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast chronologically. It was, maybe it was Ramit. Was it Ramit Sethi? Or no, I, I know, think it was I Tim, know, it was yeah, Tim yeah, Ferriss. It was Tim. Yeah. I mean, you might have mentioned it with Ramit too. Yeah. But so I started listening to Tim Ferriss chronologically. From I, I wanted to hear him grow as an interviewer because he says that interviewing is a skill. Yeah, like, it, sure. you know, it's a skill. And so I wanted to hear him grow from interview one. I think you're interview four. Everyone Thank should listen you. to it. It's amazing. Thank you. So I heard that piece of advice. Tim, just, a, just FYI, he experimented yeah. on all his friends. His first, like, ten podcasts. <laughs> As you should. Me and Kevin Rose and <laughs> yeah. these people he's known as, which is, it was fun. And I was like, all right, great. Oh, yeah, I'll be yeah. your guinea pig. Okay, yeah, great. as you should. And, that's a, and it's still a really good show. So I heard that piece of advice. And, of course, as with all advice, that's hard. Uh, that advice was scary to me, the idea of raising or even tripling my rates. And so I was like, oh, like, I know I should do that eventually, right? Like wrote it down in a notebook, closed the notebook and listened to the next interview. But it was in there, in there. And then you recommended me to a friend of yours to speak. And I remember you called me and I was at a friend's wedding, right before the wedding. And you called me and you were like, I will recommend you to this person, but you must triple your rates. Yeah. You have to charge this amount. That amount terrified me. Like the amount that you said on the phone, I was like, yeah. oh, like it terrified You're like, you have to ask that. Like, I will not recommend you unless you ask that. That was the first time I'd ever tried to charge that rate, and now that's the only rate I charge. It's amazing. So, and I've uh, referenced several times since then. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Keep I, I think that value. When we think about value. So the first is the vitamin and painkiller. People will pay more for you, and you will be able to justify a very high rate, which everyone should triple their rates. Just mark that in the little yeah. notebook. Everyone should triple their rates. Um, if you are solving solving painkillers, in fact, I define value as how many p problems you are solving for the other person. That is that is how you know what to charge. People always ask me, like, how do I know to charge? Count how many of their problems you're solving. For every problem, add another thousand, or add another hundred, or add another twenty. Whatever you know, whatever bracket yeah. sandbox you're in. Um, I think that's that's the biggest mistake we hear when it comes to pricing yourself. Is one of the things that I give advice on. I'd be curious to get your feedback since you're yeah. a master negotiator. Is to to um, Think of the solution that you would provide, what sort of value that would bring if you were to provide a valuable solution. Yes. And I usually try and find that out by asking a lot of questions yes. before you even start talking about yes. price. So can you give me an example of how you might put that into, play, into practice? Yeah. So I always think about pre prepping for negotiation and negotiation in sort of three parts, before, during, after. People usually don't even do anything before. So even doing any kind of research ahead of time. The very first step to during is asking. A lot of people like they go right into a pitch or you know, they go right into asking for a lot. Actually, the best thing you can do is do either rapport building questions, which are, you know, how's your family? How's everything going? Um, but the second kind of question is even more important, which are incentive questions. And this is where all you're trying to do, your, your only goal during this time, only one, is not to make more money, it's not to win. It's to be able to say, me too. The more that you can say some version of, me too, I also do that. Oh yeah, I feel the same way. Every time you do that, you are kind of exchanging a, a kind of value ahead of time. We don't like to take money from people, or we don't like to hurt people who are like us, because that's like hurting us. So in the first part of a negotiation, 
all you are trying to think about is how can I make this person feel more like me? What are our similarities or our strings that we have? Because you are going to have a much easier time negotiating with someone who identifies with you. So that's the first part of during. That's amazing. The very first. So asking is it and taking it one step further, asking for me too's. And this can be, be, let's be tactical. Like let's dive into it. Okay. So how, how do you, how do you do that when you get into interview? First question I love to ask before I get to into negotiation is um, anything good to report? What's been happening? So humans are a very interesting species where um, they always search for examples. They hit. They search for hits, not misses. This is why fortune tellers work. So fortune tellers will say, "You're very um, uh, good with new people." Your brain will immediately search for hits for that as opposed to misses. So even if you can only think of one example in the last year, you're like, I was great with that person. <laughs> I was. Or like, you. this is a great for, this is a fortune teller. Every fortune teller will tell you. You are great with adapting situations, but like to have your rituals and habits. And what do you think? You're like, oh, those are the times where I like my rituals and habits, and oh, those are the times where I like to change yeah. So you search for hits. So in a negotiation, if you're saying, how anything good to report? And working on anything exciting recently? they will search for the best thing that's happening in their life at that moment. That is an amazing way to start an interaction. Wow. One, you're, you're setting them up for positivity, which is a very easy way to flip someone into optimism. Second is hopefully they're going to say something like, yeah, I had a great holidays. It was really lovely. You say, oh, me too. You know, the, don't you just love the holidays? Whatever it is, right? Or like, oh, my son played soccer this weekend. Oh, I used to play soccer. Right, like that gives you all these really good opportunities for me too. And so that's how I would actually start your negotiations is anything good to report, working on anything exciting recently, tell me about big news in your industry. Those are the questions that are gonna flip you, set you up for success. So this is right in line with this video that I made using you as a reference, yeah. getting people to talk so yes. that you can agree with them. Yes. Okay. I didn't even know I was doing it, but there I go. Yes. See, I was, I'm learning from It's like osmosis. Yes. <laughs> okay, so that's the during. That's the during. Yep, so before is thinking about those vitamins and painkillers yep. and being ready for them in okay. a certain sense. Um, the, the biggest hurdle in negotiation, I think, for a lot of people is um, preventing gotcha moments. So you know a gotcha moment? I, I, I think you're going to tell me. So like a gotcha moment is when you're in a negotiation or you're in a meeting and someone goes, well, what about, and you're like, and they're like, gotcha. Like, unfortunately, we are always as humans waiting for the other shoe to drop. And this happens in dates. This happens in negotiations and interviews. Like, we always are like, what's the, like, where is the blemish? Where is it? We're like looking for that thing. And so... What people will do in negotiations without even realizing it is they will prod and ask questions to try to find the soft spot. And when they find it, their brain's like, yeah, got it, got, gotcha. And those can be very um, bad for negotiation because it lowers trust. Mm-hmm. So what I like to do, and I do this in my courses as well, is I try to think of every potential gotcha moment and I try to address it extremely early. So you'll notice an example. It, so in all of my creative live courses, I always have slides that are like myth, body language is stupid, fact, and then I list like a bunch of studies about why body language is not stupid, right? Myth, body language is learned uh, is innate, you cannot learn it, right? Fact, researchers at university like a bunch of studies. So I, I always have those in my presentation for that reason. It's up front too. Up front. So 
there was a really cool study, and I don't, I love studies. I can tell, it's incredible. Like, how many studies do you have in your brain? So many, like so many. I don't remember who did this study, forgive me, but um, they had students talk about a grade they got on a test into a tape recorder. I think it was like a 91%. They were like, oh, I got a 91% on this algebra quiz. In one version, at the very end of the recording, they spilled their coffee, and you can hear you can hear on the audio, oh, oh, shoot, oh, I spilled my coffee, oh, and they like, have like the mopping it up sounds. And the other one, they cut off the video before he spills the coffee. And they ask people, how likable is this person? They found that people like far more the coffee spiller. The reason is because he had good news, he talked about his 91%, but like he dropped the other shoe for them. So there was no gotcha moments. So he became much more likable. Yes, so it ties into vulnerability. It ties into trust. It ties into radical honesty. Um, And so what I would say in negotiation beforehand is think about, like, what are your gotcha moments? And don't try to hide them. Like, that's the worst thing you can do in a negotiation. Actually, your best thing to do is bring them up during the pitch. You might be wondering. You might be worrying about. I know you're probably thinking. Right, like yeah, those are like the, are those are the, the yeah. and and that's when you you get take away their gotcha moments in their head. Then it isn't a gotcha; it's a whew. And like that is a way better emotion than gotcha. Wow. Way, 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 way better. This is, my head is exploding <laughs> with how much of this stuff you have. If you only had as many studies in your brain as my brain. Oh my god. It's full of. But it's just full fortunately of for science. us, you put it in a book. Yeah, most of it. Yes. Like, the courses that I I'll do one more time here. This is a tight shot for you, Matt. Uh, my advanced coffee has a few dog years. The courses that you have in Creative Live, mm-hmm. you've got, I think, four now? Four, yeah. Coming up on four, yeah. Super powerful. Yeah. Um, is there a piece of your work that you feel like is the most easily digestible? Mm. Is it the body? Like, the body language stuff, I, I consider yeah. myself, I'm very comfortable in my own skin. You and I have talked about this. Yeah. You you an, analyzed me in the back of an Uber. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I have, one of the things I'm trying to is like flip and see what am I naturally good at that I could give others, or yeah. what are some things I see in culture that aren't talked about a lot? Emotional intelligence, Body language, um, negotiation, negotiation yeah, a lot power, of this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Power, use that word. Ha- happiness. Yeah, happiness. I mean, one of our courses is on happiness. Yeah. And so I'm looking for ways to add value. Is there any one yeah. of those things that you feel like is the most accessible where you'd start, like, point someone I, on the creative life side is the happiness or the, uh, the body, body language. language thing? You, but you also talked about it being a more of a, a vitamin instead of an aspirin. Right. So I think that um, it actually two, two different things either you're like you're like yes like that's me or like no that's not me. So there's not one. So okay. I would say here are the questions you want to think about. Okay. Does the idea of decoding people or learning lie detection feel just like so sexy to you? That's a lot of language <laughs> course. Right? Like that is so the bottom. other people are like mm, not my thing. The other aspect of I think the science that appeals to people is um, personality. So um, are you one of those people who loves those quizzes online where it's like, which Harry Potter house are you? <laughs> do you no. know what I mean? I love those I know quizzes. You do. <laughs> I love them. Guess which house I'm in. I don't know. I'm Gryffindor. No. I'm, I, I wish I was Gryffindor. I think I'm more Ravenclaw. But anyway. Um, so yeah, like which Harry Potter house are you? What color are you? All those personality quizzes, that would be um, my, my personality science. So just I want to debunk a myth out there. Okay. There's a lot of personality tests out there, like DISC and uh, Myers-Briggs. The only one that is based in real academic science is called the Big Five. Okay. 
And so in one of my courses in Master People Skills, I talk about the science of personality. And I think that for me, in terms of deepening my relationships, that was a big game changer. So I think that two different sides could appeal to different people. Cool. I'm going to do a speed round now because one of the things that I realized is that, okay, I've already been going for like an an hour and change. My goodness. I I feel like it's been 10 minutes. I know. I'd like to get a few things out about you specifically because we've been talking about your work, all the insights, the tactics, and I know that's the the audience at home is they've asked me and so I try and deliver that value, but I want to get into you. Okay. With a couple of speed round, does that mean I have to be quick with my answers? Brevity is not my strength. I, I, ideally, okay. but um, I'm gonna more do it. Just, I'm gonna do yeah, it. just more like what's, what's your intuition? It's like boxers or briefs. Yeah, no, not no. that. Okay, but, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, that would be an interesting. Like vanilla or chocolate? No, sorry. Uh, what's something that if people didn't know it, they would be surprised to find out about you? Um, like they go, huh? No way. Mm, I won't give this answer, but oftentimes that I'm an ambivert, that I'm not an extrovert. Um, Radical I'm, honesty. I know, That's I know. Funny. I mean, I want to, I want to give yes, something good. I get it. Um, I would say that um, I, I love to be alone in terms of like the forest, like not the city. I'm like not a city girl. I'm not a party girl. I'm not a nightclub girl. I never like rushed or anything in college. So I'm like, despite I like despite having I like, as much energy as you. Yes, have. and despite traveling all the and time. Two Phil's coffees. And two Phil's coffees. God, I love Phil's <laughs> coffee. Sponsored. So, so you're actually your. I like to be alone. I love the forest. Like I will choose the forest over a nightclub any day of the week. Like I don't even like concerts. Like I'm like that person who like doesn't know music. Um, people are always like, what? what? You don't go see the show? Oh, last night, I'm also really tech not savvy. Last night I learned how to send a GIF for the first time. <laughs> I did not know how to do that. My friends activated it on my phone for me and I was like, magic. Yes. And so now like everyone is like getting just like GIFs for me. So I'm very like tech unsavvy. That would be another one. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, something that you feel like you would be revealing yeah. on the show and yeah. this is like you're, you're going to do the work here okay what, is, what do you feel like is something you can reveal here that is just not widely known about you at all um, not just the forest thing because that's something that people would be surprised by this right is just, right is there a thing you'd like to share with the world yeah I think because um, no is not actually an, it's not a yeah yeah, yeah, yeah I can't I can't just say no yes this is what it calls when I'm <laughs> Buying time. No, I actually, I know this one. So this one is, um, I am uncomfortable almost all the time um, when I'm not alone. And so much so that during my last Creative Live class, I was was right in this room, actually. You were probably standing right where you're sitting. I think I was standing right where I was sitting. And I, I don't know if you can see it in the video, but I actually had hives from my wrists all the way up my body, all over my back. And like on the day of, and on the day of filming, I had to go to the doctor to like look at them because they were like, I was so anxious about being on stage. Like I don't know if you, I think you might be able to see them on camera. They started like right here, and I was, and I had to like get new outfits to wear. Longer and longer sleeves. Mm. Oh, that makes me feel so. Oh. I no, like, <laughs> no, but like it's like I, 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 I do this because I love it. But like there is a. A toll it takes in a certain sense, like it's very out of my comfort zone. So I don't have them today, which is like yeah. a wonderful thing, 
Um, but yeah, I have hives a lot of the time when you're I'm really anxious. So good on camera. Thanks. It's incredible that it gives you hives because you're just a natural. Yeah. That's crazy. So yeah, if you watch if you watch the happiness course, you'll you'll see them. That's so. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I. I um, next question. Yeah. Give me some advice. Okay. Oh God. Do you ask this of everyone? No. Oh, okay. No. Matt's like, uh-uh, I've never seen him ask this question before. This is risky, by the way, Chase. You're not going to want to do this on the mm. show. I would say that if I had to give you advice, mm-hmm. I would tell you that specifically with people, okay. I don't think you realize the effect that you have on people. Um, and I don't think that you realize that every time you interact with someone, even if it's a very small thing, people remember that more than you do. And so it would be to keep that in mind that like people around the office, I actually was just in the car yesterday with a friend who was like, oh, I met Chase many years ago, uh, working with a modeling agency. I was booking stuff for his photography. And I was like, and she was like, oh, he would never recognize, he would never like remember me. But she remembers that moment. She remembers what you were wearing. Like she remembers it really well. And so I would say to you, I don't know if you realize you have an impact on people and um, no pressure, but um, oh, the little moment. moments, like the little moments, people will really remember them with you. And that, that does not happen with everyone. That's not happen with me, um, but it happens with you. That's, I will do Just my very keep in the back of your head. make use of that. But and I, I also, totally didn't know you were going to ask me that. No, so. I also <laughs> just felt like I, now I've got a, a large burden to carry. You did, it it no, is kind no, of I, a large burden. No, it is. It is, I, in no, a good I, way. But yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'll, I'll, I think I was jesting. I'm inspired by that. Thank you. Yes. Uh, I do. I really. I love humans. I think that's one of the reasons that I love you and your work because you. I feel like have uncorked so much. I've watched people have massive aha yeah. moments. Yeah. With you and your work. Yeah. Um, what's next? The book is a big one. The book is a big one. Book when's is a drop? Big one. Uh, April twenty fifth. April twenty fifth. And then I'm going to pre order now. Pre order now. Yeah, pre order now. Oh, okay. Please pre order now. Pre order that. Because then they print enough copies. <laughs> oh, they print enough copies. So yes, pre orders are amazing. Okay. Um, and then the next one is I'm. Uh, we're going to start doing anti networking events in cities. Um, of course you are yeah. anti networking. <laughs> yeah. Who would want to network? Yeah, because like networking just sucks. Like it just sucks. And so we're doing um, a bunch of anti networking events in cities around the world um, where there are very alternative ways to network. So that's kind of the next the next adventure. Uh, I have I have seen several blog posts of yours recently. Yes. yes. And they have extraordinary titles. They are very evocative. <laughs> They're very evocative. Yeah, like borderline like provocative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you just list some of them to uh, inspire folks to go check out some of your writing because it's so good and obviously that kind of writing is what's embedded in the book. But just give us a couple titles. Yeah, so um, we have one that's called I Dare You, and it's about a bot that I built. So um, at networking events, I get really anxious and I pretend to text with people who like aren't texting with me. <laughs> and so I was like, what if I built a bot that was like an imaginary friend but actually sent me advice? So we built a little free bot where you can text us and we will text you back conversation starters, dares, jokes, tips. Oh, that's so cool. So you can text us. But that's um, not evocative. Here's some other ones. Other blog post titles. Keep it going. Um, uh, I like that you're weird. That's one of my <laughs> That's awesome. Which is why I'm encouraging you to be weird. Okay. Uh, how to be interesting is another one. Uh, which is one of the most common search terms to get to our website. And I didn't have a post about that. 
So I was like, what? Like, how many people are Google searching how to be interesting? If you're Google searching how to be interesting. Pay attention to yeah. Pay <laughs> we got We got a lot to work on. There was some stuff I felt oh, like. Oh, make people want you? Yes, maybe that was. No, but I think it has sexual, a more sexual undertone than this. <laughs> make people want you is kind yeah, of Yeah, I guess sexual. that's pretty sexual. Or not. I but. Make people want you. Um, the body language of attraction. Um, female body language. More sexual. Oh, how to turn people on. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe that was, <laughs> that a, was uh, that pretty it. overt kind of. It's sad that I have like so many that I'm like, oh, it could be that one. It could be that one. No. But I, and and the thing that I am I want to emphasize before the folks at home go check out these things is that they, they deliver on exactly yeah. what you're saying the title is. I try. And it's super actionable. Yeah. It's like mind-blowingly. I'm addicted to black and white. I think that I, I like, here's something, some sexual innuendo. Are you ready? Yeah. I like the hard side of soft skills. <laughs> that was good. That was, that, yeah. that was a good one. And, yes. It took me like hours to think of that. Yeah. So yeah, that that one. I like the hard tips, the black and white tips. Okay. No soft skills, no gray. The hard side. Yeah. You I like get, that, oh, right? I, I do. Yes, it's powerful. <laughs> I was going to do another innuendo on top of it, but I'm just going to let it go there. Congratulations on the book. Congratulations on your new Creative Lab classes. You have delivered so much value. For the folks at home, if you are interested in any of any anything relating to what we've talked about, you and your content, your whole ecosystem delivers in spades. I want to say thank you. Thank you for being a friend. I'm going to continue to recommend that you speak to all these different groups that I, I bump into. Um, I'm super inspired by you and your work. How do we find you out on the internet? You're at VVE. At, so V Van Edwards on v Twitter. Van, what, let's do that one more time. V Van Edwards. Yep. V Van Edwards at, on Instagram and Twitter. Sciencepeople.com. Come play in our lab. We have so many fun experiments. Come play. Come play with us. Um, and then the book is Wherever Books Are Sold. I've always wanted to say that. Wherever Books Are Sold. I think that I think that's true. Yeah, I think there were ever books are sold. There you go. <laughs> Captivate is the title, the science of succeeding with people. Thank you so much, friend. It's, I'm so happy that Thanks you Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Signing off for another episode. I will see you next week. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say, A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there, as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this. Also, uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.